All right. Good morning. You know, last month we uh, finished our series in the book of Proverbs. It's kind of sad. It's been a long time in the book of Proverbs. And uh, this morning, we're actually going to begin a new series. I'm going to begin a new series. Jeremy's still preaching through First Peter. Uh, and we're going to do a new, ser- new series on the book of Colossians. So you're welcome to turn there. If you're using a blue Bible, we provide for you. It's on page 983. And not too long ago in our growth groups, we, did act- we actually did a study on the book of Colossians. So we've had a chance to whet our appetite uh, in this letter. And you'll notice from the title of the sermon in the bulletin, it's called An Introduction to Colossians. Very exciting. <laughs> That's the best I could come up with, because I figured before we started working our way through the text, it would be good for us to take some time to, to, give, uh, to get a general introduction to the letter, which will include some background information and an overview of the, the letter's general contents, rather than kind of filling in little bits as we go along, we'll do a lot up front, and then as we go along, we'll be reminded of the circumstances uh, surrounding the letter, the occasion of the letter, and the situation that is being addressed. And so, if we look at the first two verses, it's plain to see who the human author of the letter is. And of course, I say human author because this letter was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit which means that every word of it is God-breathed, thus making it the authoritative word of the Lord. So sure, it is a human letter, but it is also a divine letter. It is the word of God. And in verses 1 and 2, we read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, So Paul, the primary apostle to the Gentiles, is the author of this letter, and he addressed it specifically to the Christians who made up the local church in the small town of Colossae, and it was a small town. The Colossian church met in the house of a wealthy man named Philemon, which we learn in the letter of the same name that follows Colossians, met in Philemon's house. And Paul intended for this letter to the Colossian Christians to be read not just among their congregation, but also among the congregation in Laodicea, which was a city located just 12 miles west of Colossae. In Colossians 4, verses 15 and 16, we read, Give my greetings, Paul says, to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Now, Paul indicates in this letter and in his letter to Philemon, which follows this one, that the believers at Colossae, except for the few he had led to Christ, had never seen him or met him in person. They'd never met him. They'd never seen him. And in Colossians 2.1, Paul had written, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And if you search the book of Acts, you'll see that there is no mention of Paul planting a church 
at Colossae or even of him visiting this small town. There's no mention of it. In fact, you don't even find the name of the town in the book of Acts. However, what we do have in the book of Acts and in Paul's letter to the Colossians is enough information to understand how this particular letter was written or how it came about, uh, the occasion of it, and how the particular church in Colossae came about and why Paul took the time to write and instruct this local fellowship of believers that he had never personally met. He's writing a personal letter to them. And we have enough information in the Word to put the pieces together and to at least understand the circumstances. So we have the town of Colossae, and it was located in the region or the province of Asia. And when we say Asia in Scripture, it's talking about Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor. And according to the book of Acts, Paul didn't go into this region during his first missionary journey. He intended to take the gospel there during his second missionary journey, but the Lord prevented him at that point and redirected his steps further west to Macedonia and Greece instead. Again, here's Turkey, Asia, and this is Macedonia and Greece. you got the Aegean Sea, so I guess I should have put a map up here. But anyway, remember that. He wanted to go into Asia, Lord redirected his steps into Macedonia and Greece instead. So he didn't get a chance to go in there. It wasn't the Lord's will at that point. And towards the end of his second missionary journey, the second one where he had gotten redirected around Asia, Paul was able to actually briefly visit the coastal city of Ephesus, which was one of the largest cities in Asia. But he then set sail from there and made his way back home. And his parting words to the Jews to whom, with whom he had briefly interacted with were, I will return to you if God wills. I'll return to you if God wills. So he goes back home. And it wasn't until Paul's third missionary journey that the Lord finally, finally opened the door for Paul to travel through Asia. And when he did that, Paul went straight back to Ephesus. He kept his word. And in Ephesus, he then stationed himself for the next three years. Three years. He stayed put. And we read of this in chapter 19 of Acts. And Paul spent his first three months in that city going into the synagogue, the local synagogue, where he boldly spoke to the Jews about the truth of the gospel and the kingdom of God. He wanted to persuade them. And that was usually his pattern. He'd go into his city, he'd go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews, but then he would also take that message to the Gentiles. Now some of the Jews believed, but others became stubborn and persisted in their unbelief. At which point, the Scripture says in Acts 19, he withdrew from them, from the synagogue, he withdrew from them, and he took the disciples, those who believed, with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Again, this was a, a lecture hall or some kind of facility that he was able to utilize, kind of like Heritage Neighborhood Center. And in the following chapter in Acts, we... we read Paul describing his ministry, and he says that he not only proclaimed the gospel of the grace of God and testified of the need for repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. That's what he was up to. Preaching the word, declaring the whole counsel of God to those who listen to him. 
In Acts 19.10, the following verse, after it said he went to the hall of Tyrannus, reasoning daily, this daily instruction continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles. Now, it does not say that many residents heard, but that all of them heard. Think about that. All of them heard the word of the Lord. And this happened as Paul stayed put in that busy city and faithfully proclaimed the gospel and preached the word of God for two whole years. Faithful ministry. And this doesn't mean that every, to say that all the residents heard the word of the Lord, it doesn't mean that everybody who lived in the province of Asia had gone to Ephesus at some point and heard the word of the Lord directly from Paul. How did it happen? Well, what was happening was that the people passing through or visiting Ephesus who heard and believed the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, they were returning to their respective hometowns and proclaiming the gospel in those places as well. You see? So he's in a a busy commercial center that is Ephesus. A lot of traffic. A lot of people going through that town. So a lot of people heard the word of the Lord. And some of those people were born again and believed in the word of the Lord. And they took that word, the gospel message, and the things that they were instructed in, they took it back to where they lived in Asia. And one of these people was a man from Colossae named Epaphras. Epaphras. According to what Paul says in his letter, Epaphras was the one who took the gospel to Colossae and planted the church in that town. And we'll see it in, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes, Of this, and he's speaking of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, several years elapsed between the time that Paul was teaching in Ephesus and the time that he penned this letter. After Paul left Ephesus, he again went into Macedonia and then spent a few months ministering in Greece. And then he journeyed all the way to Jerusalem where he was attacked by an angry mob of Jews, detained and questioned by the Roman authorities, and sent off to the city of Caesarea under Roman guard where he's kept under the governor's custody for over two years. And from there, he was shipped off to Rome because he exercised his rights as a Roman citizen and appealed his case to Caesar. Book of Acts, in a nutshell. And at the end of the book of Acts, Luke says, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And in Acts, uh, later at the end of that chapter, the final verses, he lived there in Rome, two whole years, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So it was sometime during this two-year period with Paul in Rome that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. He was under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. That's how they did it. No ankle bracelets. Well, ankle bracelet with a chain to a Roman guard. 
He's under house arrest, but he had freedom. He had liberty to, to pr- proclaim the word, but he, he just couldn't go anywhere. So letter writing was a pretty convenient thing to do. So, under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, kept from going anywhere, and he makes reference to his circumstances, these circumstances, in, at the end of Colossians' letter. In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door, or open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. So again, now you understand, when he says I'm in prison, prison had different, there were different scenarios, different kinds of being in custody or detention. So he's under house arrest. I'm in prison. And in 4.18, he says, remember my chains. He actually had a chain on him. So the church at Colossae was likely, I mean, if we put all that together, everything we get from the book of Acts, Paul's journeys, the travels, and the, the time frame that's given to us, and somewhere along the way during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, Paphras took the gospel back home and preached the gospel and planted a church. The church was likely anywhere from three to five years old at this point when Paul writes the letter to them. Probably about three to five years old. She's even younger than us. And Paul writes to them after he gets an update from Epaphras on how things are going with this young church. And what this means is that Epaphras had taken the time or taken it upon himself to make the 1,300-mile journey all the way to Rome in order to visit Paul. That's about how far it is from Colossae. Epaphras goes and visits him in person to give him an update. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul says that Epaphras is the one who told him about their faith in Christ and love in the Spirit. That's what Paul knows about about what the Lord's doing in Colossae, because Epaphras came and gave him this report. However, if we continue reading the letter, we're going to realize that Epaphras didn't travel all the way to Rome just to inform Paul of the Lord's wonderful work in Colossae. He had apparently brought up concerns regarding false teaching in the area that was perhaps confusing or distracting or possibly even leading astray some of those in their church. So the church had some problems. And there was this this threat of false teaching, something that was leading astray or at least distracting the faithful church in in Christ at Colossae. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4, I say this, he's saying these things in his letter, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And it is most likely that this issue of false teaching is what drove Epaphras to make the journey all the way to Rome. Sure, he brought up other things. He had other reasons for visiting Paul there, but this is probably the the primary reason why he did make that journey. He was seeking the apostles' help. I mean, it would be great if we had a Apostle Paul here today, we could actually, what would Paul say about this? Be able to consult an apostle of Jesus Christ? There aren't any more still today, by the way. So in verses 16 and 18, we're given more details concerning the false teaching or teachings that had been brought to Paul's attention and which he in turn was addressing in this letter. So in verse 16 in chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, we don't, we don't have an inspired historical background book of the Bible. And so what we're doing is just making these observations in the letter and seeing the things that Paul's addressing and concluding, well, there's something going on that he's addressing. So we can put these pieces together. And with regard to this false teaching, I mean, there was something going on, some kind of false teaching, some kind of influence. We've got some details here. But there's much speculation as to the exact source and nature of this teaching that Paul was addressing in his letter. Scholars or people have really studied into these things, and there are a bunch of different options or opinions of, of what was going on or what it possibly could be. But what's evident from the letter itself, and that's what we'll stick with, is that at the very least, the proponents of this false teaching were trying to convince those in the church at Colossae that they needed to supplement their faith in Christ. They need to supplement it with external religious rituals and practices in order to maintain God's favor. Or in order to attain some higher level of spirituality, which presumably would bring them closer to God. Are you like super spiritual? There are things you can do to have a higher attainment of spirituality, man. So whatever false teaching this was, Ritual, regulations, practices, somehow to make you more spiritual, closer to God, maintaining God's favor. And one of Paul's aims in this letter was to equip the Colossians against the influence of this particular blend of false teaching. And it wasn't out of left field, completely obvious, like, hey, Jesus is not the Messiah. It's like, get out of here. You know, we, we, we know that he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. But they're coming in saying, no, true Christianity, you need to aspire to these greater things. See how it's deceptive. And that's why Epaphras was seeking Paul's help in dealing with the deceptiveness, deceptiveness of these professing Christians who were teaching all these strange things. And Paul decided to equip the Colossians against this, the influence of this false teaching. He decided the best way to do this was to give them a, a greater knowledge of the truth concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, let me pick apart all, all their you know, teaching and stuff like that. He said, I'm gonna, I, I think the best way to help you withstand the deception of this false teaching is to have a better understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul, in other words, dished out doctrine. Dished out doctrine. He expanded their theology, particularly their Christology. Paul placed a heavy emphasis on Christ throughout his letter. And really, in just 95 verses, he makes about 80 references to Christ. In just 95 verses. Christ, Christ, Christ. Let me point you to Christ. And give you a deeper understanding of who he is and what he has accomplished. Paul instructed the Colossians about Christ's supremacy over all things, and the sufficiency of Christ's redemptive work on their behalf. His, his supremacy over all things and the sufficiency of His work on their behalf so that they would not be lured into thinking that they need to pursue human philosophy, 
religious traditions, charismatic experiences, and or an ascetic lifestyle to live lives that are worthy of Christ. Lives that are holy and pleasing to Him. So you don't need something in addition to Christ in whom you have placed your faith. However, Paul's goal in this letter is not merely to guard the Colossians against false teaching, but also to guide them to maturity in Christ. So it's not just a letter saying there's false teaching, I really want to equip you so that you can withstand that. He doesn't stop with that. He wants them to grow up in Christ, guide them towards maturity in Christ. And he states that this was the goal of his ministry to them in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That was the goal of Paul's ministry. Present everyone mature in Christ. It is with this goal in mind that Paul gives the Colossians instructions on daily Christ-centered living, which we find mainly in the second half of his letter, chapters 3 and 4. If you wanted to kind of structure this or see how it breaks down, the first few chapters deal with a lot of doctrine. He teaches them a lot of things about the person and work of Jesus Christ. In chapters 3 and 4, he really gets into those daily applications exhortations, commands about how you are to live day in and day out um, in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does is, what is Christ-centered living look like? What does spiritual living look like? So now that we've taken into account the background, the general contents of Paul's letter to the Colossians, let's read it. You want to read it? All right. You know, in the coming months, we will gradually work our way through the text. We're going to do that. We're going to get into more detail. Uh, But a letter is meant to be read in its entirety in one sitting, so that's how we'll do it now. All right, Colossians 1. You didn't know you were going to get two Scripture readings today, did you? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Read along. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent." For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, 
and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom... You have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, 
the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There we go, right? Yeah, the, the first step to, to understanding a book or a letter in the Scripture is just to read it. And if we read it in its entirety, that gives us that sense that you can follow Paul's flow of thought, his communication to them. Did you notice how many times he said Christ? In Him, through Him, Christ, 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 fix your eyes on Jesus. If you are in Christ, here's the idea, if you are in Christ, then you lack nothing spiritually. Because Jesus Christ is God. You see that in chapter 1? He is God. In Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Paul says this in chapter 2. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him. So, you have no need for man-made religious traditions. Man-made religious traditions. And you have no need for some kind of unique spirituality. We're in Southern California, my goodness, there's a lot of that. Blending, uniqueness, mysticism, all those things. Jesus Christ is our Creator. He is our Lord and our Savior. He is our life and our hope of glory. We see all these statements about Him in Colossians. So Paul's point in this letter is, is that, we, that Christ is sufficient, that He is supreme over all things. We have been united to Him. We have been filled with the fullness of God that is in Him. We lack nothing spiritually. And as far as our growth and maturity in Him, well, we grow spiritually as we keep Christ at the center of our lives. We fix our eyes on Christ. We fix our eyes on Him by faith. We, we continue trusting in His finished work of atonement on our behalf. His work is finished, right? Nothing we need to add to that. We submit to Him as Lord of all creation, and we receive the wisdom and knowledge He has supplied us in His written Word. Those are the means by which we mature in Christ and live in a manner worthy of Him. His Word and His work and His grace are sufficient. So that is the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And as some have said, this is the most Christocentric letter in all the New Testament. I mean, each letter has kind of a main emphasis. Well, probably the greatest emphasis on Christ lies in Colossians. And it's a short letter, just 95 verses. Next time, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll start working our way through this wonderful, remarkable letter and be reminded of these essential truths to Christian living, that Christ is supreme and he's sufficient for us and we are to continue fixing our eyes on him and maturing in him and we don't need to add anything to his finished work on our behalf so let's pray father thank you for this morning and lord we are incredibly blessed to have your word to have your truth break into the darkness of our lives when we were separated from you and and for you to 
give us new life and understanding that we might receive by faith the, the news of the gospel and, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. And Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you. You are God the Son. You are Creator. You are our Lord and King. You are a Master in heaven. Help us to fix our eyes on you by faith and, and to, to not seek to supplement our spiritual lives, our daily lives, with the, anything uh, the world might say we need to supplement it with, Lord. The trappings of man-made religion and, and all these different kinds of unique spiritual teachings that, that lead us astray from the sufficiency of your word. Lord, keep us fix, fixated on you. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you. And may you be magnified in our hearts and minds that, that we might seek to honor you in every area of life because you are over all of it. You are all over all of it. We pray that we would be faithful to proclaim your name, your gospel, and that we would be like Epaphras, that we would take the things that we know, that we have believed on, your word, and that we would take it to our communities, that we would take it to our friends and relatives. Lord, that we would be instruments in your hands to take your message forth to those who do not believe in you, do not believe upon you, Lord, that they might come to know you through the proclamation of your gospel, of your word, and be saved and reconciled to you. Help us to continue to be faithful as a church. Guard us against perverse teachings, false teachings, worldly ideologies and philosophy, Lord. Help us to be a church that is faithfully committed to your word to the preaching and proclamation of it and to the application of it it is our authority we submit our lives to the things you have written and revealed to us help us to honor you in our daily lives in our homes in our communities and it's in christ's name we pray amen